Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to Season 3 of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life and the second episode in the series uh, talking about adult resources uh, around the country. There are four guests um, on the podcast today. We are ranging from the states of Washington, uh, California, Texas, and Colorado. So um, this episode is a little bit longer because there are more people talking. Um, But hopefully the last episode with um, Michigan and Arizona, you gathered some information that was helpful. And you will also gather some information that was helpful, that is helpful on If you want your state represented and if you um, are the parent of an adult on the spectrum or an adult with disabilities or know of someone um, within your state that would be a great guest for the podcast, um, I would love to honestly hit all 50 states and try to bring some awareness to the lack of resources and support and services that all of our adults are um, not receiving. Uh, it's news to a lot of people when when I tell them that services end at 21, 22 for Skylar, and they're just like flabbergasted, like and asking me the question, "What are you guys supposed to do?" Um, that's that's the million dollar question. What are we supposed to do? So hopefully, if we're loud and make the right people hear these episodes um, and understand that this is a decades after decades long problem, maybe we can start to make some changes that are affecting our kids and all of the many, many young kids yet to come into adulthood. So please enjoy this episode with these four spectacular moms. And um, again, please refer anybody to me um, that you think might be a great guest on the podcast to talk about this in their state. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. This is episode two in the three-part series about talking um, with adult resources around the country and trying to help some of you navigate uh, places to move to or to live or to avoid at all costs because of the resource situation that you have uh, when your kids age out. So with me today is Alicia Miner from Washington State. Lisa Hugerwerf, did I say it right, of Cody Speaks. Um, she's in Florida. Lisa Dempsey in Texas and Sherry Little in Colorado. So welcome everybody to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. It's a good group we got here. <laughs> I'm actually in California. Lori. Thank you. you are? Mm-hmm. I thought you were in Florida. Why yeah. do you think you're in Florida all this time? Okay. Yeah, because it, it looks the same, I think. Palm trees. And- <laughs> Maybe. Did you ever live in Florida? Mm-mm. Well, mm-hmm. I've no. somehow missed that along the way. I've known you forever too. That's weird. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Anyway, I apologize for that. Great start. Um, so um, I asked everybody to be on because we all have older children um with disabilities, um, many of which have autism too. And um, 
as I've navigated now that Skylar is 19, I'm trying to look into group homes and residential living and all of the resources beyond age 22 when everything seems to dry up in my state. So um, I wanted you guys all to share your experiences with turning 18 and beyond, because I know some of you have children older than that, um, and what your experience has been. So um, Lisa, um, Cody speaks Lisa, maybe that's what I'll say. <laughs> Do you want to go first and um, just tell a little bit about Cody, how old he is now, and just kind of where you've gotten to with um, future planning for him and really um, what he does during the day, if there's day programs available in California where you are and just all the things. Do you want to share? Yes, sure. Um, so Cody is currently 21 and where I live, he goes to school until he's 22. Um, it looks very different after they graduate. Um, and he got a certificate, not a diploma, so that he could therefore still have the resources available to him. It was a better, it was a better plan for us so that he could you know, continue getting ABA and all the things that really help him um, along the way. And so he graduated, officially graduated um, three years ago now. And, um, and then now he's been in the adult program, but since COVID, it looks very different. He's at home and, oh, I'm just listening. He's at home and he has been getting all of his services at home and it's actually been a really good thing like COVID like for us if there was a silver lining that definitely was it for us he I found out so much more about him about what was not happening at school due to behaviors and um, that the fact that he learns so much better at home he just he can't tolerate all the distractions and all the behaviors that other kids might be having, you know, when they're having a hard day and it mm -hmm. just paralyzes him. And he just requires too many, too many other supports. And he's really, he wasn't really getting any learning. I mean, he was really not getting any education at all. At all. Um, so I found out that he just does so much better at home. So we, decided to continue it at home. Now he's aging out, uh, his, his birthday's in July, but he'll continue the summer program, which is through July, and then he'll be done. And then I've been looking into day programs and it's the same thing that you hear. I mean, that's what I've heard here in California that it's hard to get in, there's a waiting list mm -hmm. and it's true. That's what's, that's what I've been um, battling. I've been doing this for several months now, calling around, trying to get tours set up. And you know, what's so frustrating is that it's not like you can even get on a waiting list years prior, knowing that there's going to be a waiting list. You can't, they have to actually be, they have to be, um, they can't be on a waiting list until they're 21 here in California. So, I mean, he's technically on a waiting list, but it's, he's probably not going to get in anytime soon. Um, and then even if he were to get in, I want to make sure that it's the right place. So I want to tour it and make sure that all the safety things are in place. And uh, this one 
day program that I called, I just couldn't believe the phone conversation that I was having with her. She was telling me all about it. And I had presumed that she knew the level that Cody was at, which is he requires one-to-one and, um, you know, all these different things because a packet was sent to them about all the information about him. And, you know, I, I was, and I was, as I was talking with her, I was just a little bit taken back when I thought, she really has no idea really how severe my son, like how many supports he really needs Uh and all the verbal prompts and just all this stuff. And she was, we were talking and she said, I was asking her about, you know, what they did and what does it look like? And I said, I want to, you know, come and have a tour. And she said, well, I want to let you know that, you know, um, they're free to come and go whenever they want. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, if he wants to just get up and leave. And I said, I'm sorry, are we talking about the same program? I'm, I'm a little bit confused right now. I said, my son, if he's overwhelmed, he will just walk out. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're, so you're telling me if he's overwhelmed and he's trying to get to a place where he can think clearly and just get a, a void the triggers, whatever's happening. Maybe someone's not having a good day. Maybe they're loud, whatever. He, he might just walk out of the classroom and you're not going to go after him. She said, well, we're going to call him back. <laughs> so Let Cody, me know how that works out. <laughs> oh, Hey Cody, come on back. Yeah. I was, and she said, I said, so you don't have like locks. We are not allowed to have locks. But isn't there like a measure of safety that needs to be taken into account? Because my son will walk and continue walking and continue walking and just keep walking. Mm-hmm. And, and then I found out, oh, and there's a busy street right out front. Oh, oh, and there's a busy street. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's exciting. Oh, my god! I gosh. definitely wanted to go to your program. This is like just the best. And I said, um, do you have a fence? We're not allowed to have a fence. I'm just like, what are you telling me right now? Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? The more we talk, I'm thinking that this is just, you're in for a possible lawsuit at one point, at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, crazy. We only have one program here and it's, um, and now they're not even accepting anybody. Um, but he couldn't go there anyway because he needs one-on-one and they don't have enough staff and he's not toilet trained. So they don't have anybody to take care of that. So they're like, yeah, he's not a good fit. So that means there is no fit. There is no program for us. So, um, Sherry, <clears throat> do you have, um, day programs that you know of, or has that kind of been your experience with, um, your son, Aaron, and he's 30, right? Um, my son is 30. Everything changed when he graduated from high school. He's never gone to day, pro- day programming. He did go through voc rehab, um, when he was older, but when he was in school in his last year of school, his special ed teacher took him for some interviews. Um, and he started working part-time at Goodwill and eventually he ended up as a park push, cart pusher at Walmart and he couldn't handle the heat. So he ended up leaving that position. But other than day programs, that's about it. it um, it kind of feels like once they are out of school, 
that's it. You're on your own. There's no resources. There's no help unless they're already in the system and already living in a group home or in an institution. So it's, it's been a, it's been a difficult road. And at least when he was at home um, or he's still at home, but at least when he was working part-time, he was able to get around pretty well. And about three years ago, he had some medical issues and life for both of us changed where he needed round the clock care for me, had several surgeries. I ended up losing my job, um, running out of family medical leave and our world that we knew changed forever drastically. Um, I'm still his personal paid caregiver. Um, and that's a nightmare in itself. Um, in Colorado, I'm grateful to be able to do that for him. And they have that program. Unfortunately, they only have that in like 10 states, I believe. Um, but it's been an issue because every year they want to do a reassessment. Mm -hmm. And um, this past year, we started the reassessment process in December. His um, contract or whatever you want to call it ended on 228. As of 3-1, I wasn't paid for three months because all of this red tape. She was telling me before she'll come back on, but um, she was telling me that um, her son still needs help. Even though he's 30, he still needs help with social cues, like paying bills, um, cooking, like all of those things. So she's still managing all of that stuff for him, even though he was able to have a job and yeah. do some of those things. Um, she still is primarily his caregiver for a lot of the, a lot of the things that he needs. Um, Alicia, do you want to go and tell us a little bit about your son? Yeah. It's um, Austin and he's 18, right? 18. Yeah. He's going to be 19 in January. So freshly 18. Um, so live in, we live in Washington state and primarily what we do right now is ABA in home. Um, just start going to the clinic again after COVID and then the community. Um, he stopped public education at 15 and a half. Um, he had medical issues going on and just kind of the same thing that we all talk about that it just gets to be too much and chaotic and just there's not like the perfect program that works for him and it just at the time I had to do that so um he's been at home doing that and then you know freshly turning 18 in Washington state um you are paid to be their caregiver at that age so kind of just waiting until they turn 18 to yep, make it to too. the finish Same line thing. <laughs> And, um, not that it's a lot of money or anything, uh, no, but it <laughs> ours means, is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that's what we're doing right now. And then I'm just kind of like navigating the system now that he's at that age and kind of making plans and figuring out what to do. Um, as far as if he was in public school, it would go until age 21. Um, and then after 21, there is um, yeah, there's a few little programs that I've been, um, researching because I'd like him to kind of like go into those now, um, with ABA that it's just, I mean, it's great. Um, because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have anything. Um, mm -hmm. so, but it's all ages. It's not like there's an ABA center for adults or teenagers or kids split up. It's all ages. So there's nowhere to really send him um, for his age, 
academic wise, social wise, life skills wise, I just have to kind of create all these little sections that go together and piece together a program for him. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where we're at. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. Yikes. Um, Lisa, do you want to um, fill us in and then we'll kind of talk about some other things with your daughter? Sure. Yeah. So I have two, my, um, well, four children, but Lindsay is 30 and she has been through a variety of different residential settings here in Texas. Um, and we're in Houston. And so we've done private, private pay and residential. We've done, we've been on a waiver program. And now finally, after many, many, many years, 16 plus, we came up on the special interest list for home and community services. So currently she's in a three person, all girl group home um, here in our community. She has um, HCS in Texas is kind of like the jackpot. That's where you start receiving really all of the different benefits in one package. So she has um, the group home, which is, you know, 24 seven care. She has access to a day program. She has a job. They take her back and forth to her job. Um, they're, they're supposed to take her to doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and things like that. But I still prefer to be the person who's actively engaged there. Um, but like she needed to get her teeth cleaned a couple of weeks ago. And I said, Hey guys, can y'all take her? And so that was great. So it was nice to have that backup and they were able to take her for that. That was a very, very long, all of those things are a long process. And, and I'll let you guys kind of ask questions about different things. Um, in Texas, at least here in Houston and Dallas and the Metroplex areas, um, there's not an issue with day programs. We have lots of different day programs. Uh, they may not look exactly the way that you want them to. The issue would be for individuals with more significant aggressive mm-hmm. behaviors. Um, I can tell you, for example, the program that, that my daughter is in, they have individuals who uh, need um, all levels of self-care, uh, whether it's from a feeding tube all the way up to you know being in an adult diaper and needing to be changed or things like that. They're still involved in different activities throughout the week. Um, So there are some really great day programs and typically to get into the day program, that's kind of the first thing that that happens um, once they transition out. So you pretty much can get access to a day program right after they leave school. It's all the other services or if you're trying to get different therapies um, and the different kinds of therapies that you might be able to receive depend on which waiver program you're in. Um, so I had friends and families many years ago who were, they were on, I think it was class or TX, Texas Home Living, and they had like equine therapy and all kinds of other different therapies that they had access to that we didn't because we were still on waiting lists. So we had still continued to have to private pay for things. Um, so there are a lot of different things. Somebody can move to the state and if their individual, um, if their loved one has, I think it's an IQ under 69, I believe, um, uh, intellectual development, a disability, something along those lines, we have what's called interim care facility group homes. And those are pretty much available right away. Um, 
those didn't work for us. It was just a very rigid system. It didn't feel like home, the ones that we were able to get into locally for us. So we did not go that route. We waited until we were able to receive the home and community services base to be in the, in the group home. So, but Lindsay's doing great. We're really, we're really very fortunate. I make it sound really good right now, but that's because, you know, all that hard stuff's kind of behind me at the moment. I think that's my, one of my questions is like here, I know we're on the family supports waiver or whatever it is. They took um, in the state of Indiana, they took all of the waiver lists when Skylar, he was put on the waiver at diagnosis at three. He, they were just paying out in like 1995 or something, people that were on the list. So by the time we got it, I think he was nine or something, but what they did is they took the three different, they had a developmental disabilities waiver, family and supports waiver, and then something else. And they lumped them all together and said, oh, look, we don't have waiting lists anymore. Everybody gets the waiver. But all we get is like 60 hours of respite, which kind of like Alicia said, I'm paid for that now because we have no respite help. So now I get paid to do his respite, which is my mom duties anyways. Um, and then the only way to get the big waiver, kind of like what you sound like you're talking about with pretty much unlimited services. And they would pay for like a group home. If we could find him one or things, the three criteria, um, my husband and I have to die. Um, we have to end up, um, terminally ill or like with a diagnosis where we're very, very sick and we can't take care of him or he, or we have to be over 86, I think is the age. And then the last one was, um, he has to need like medical, you know, like some transfusions or something like weekly and has to be, you know, taken for medical uh, treatments and stuff outside of the home that would warrant him needing nursing care and like additional stuff. So literally we have to wait to die for him to get that other waiver or everything is out of pocket, or we have to find a nonprofit that will take him or something. And there's just nothing. The only group homes we have here, um, have like, I think five, um, men, and they could be varying ages that he would live with. And maybe two at the most three caregivers. Well, he needs his own yeah. caregiver. Like he can't live in a home with five other dudes and like, you know, having people just take shifts and occasionally check in on him. Yep. Um, and then as far as, you know, residential living, they're more like nursing homes mm -hmm. where he would be with 65, 70 year olds and just kind of checked on periodically. That's it. So we are not staying here. I mean, there's no way we can stay here. And that what's, what brings up the question is like, what do we do later in life? What is our retirement, our adult years, our adult years, our golden years, <laughs> what do those look like? Because I mean, that's kind of why I'm doing this too, is that families have to make the decision. Does one of us quit our jobs and we uproot our family and we move? to a state to just take care of our adult child with disabilities um, so that they're secure for the rest of their life. I don't, I don't know what the answer is for everybody, but have you guys had those discussions in your families? That's where I feel like oh, I can tell you. I was going to say we're, we're in the situation now where our youngest 15 and Luke um, has autism, but he's, he's doing really well right now. Y'all knock on wood, everybody. Um, <laughs> But we're, we're, my husband just retired and I'm still, I'm still working and doing all the things that I, that I do. And we're sitting here looking at, okay, what could we possibly do in a few years if we wanted to do anything? Um, and we can't, 
the the answer is we can't because we can't leave you can't leave Lindsay the area and, and Lindsay mm-hmm. and where we have all of her supports and everything set mm-hmm. up. So we are in like the reverse situation of what you're 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 we finally got all that taken care of for the most part. And we'll see what happens with Luke, you know, as as things progress. But um you know, our joke is, well, when we win the lottery and we can afford to pay for everybody's care, then, then we can make a change. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I talk to people all the time who are trying to make decisions on what to do next. And then that comes up into the wait lists of where are you going? What's the wait list mm-hmm. look like? Or what kind of interim services do that, does that state offer? Um, or is the cost of living yeah. at a place that you're supplementing your own income by reducing your cost of living so that you can then funnel all those additional funds into the care of your loved mm-hmm. one. So Alicia, were you going to say something? Um, yeah. Do you have anything like respite housing where like, if you wanted to go on a trip for a weekend or a week or something like that, where they could actually go to the house for respite? Yeah. We don't have that here either. Um, there, there was one where it was just for like, if they're in crisis and then there, um, recently found one for adults that my caseworker through developmental disabilities told me about, um, but they have to be behaviorally stable. So, um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I it means know, no runners. I was, like, I was like, I would like <laughs> the details on that because like, who is behaviorally stable all the time? I'm not. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, I can't stay there, I guess. But um, not that that's something that I would like want to do all that time, all the time, but just to, there has to be something available for families. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a single mom, so it's just him and I, um, mm-hmm. and I have respite care and caregivers, but it took me a really, really long time to find them. And then it's like, please don't ever leave. <laughs> And um, you're not allowed to get married kind of or have children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're here forever. Mm. But um, yeah, it's just figuring out the here and now what I'm going to do you know, to get everything kind of stabilized and how we're going to carry on the rest of our lives. And then after I'm gone, making a plan for that. So um, we have different waiver systems here in Washington state. Um, he was on, we got on a waiting list when right after he was diagnosed at three, and we were on it for almost 12 years. So it took 12 Man. years. And yeah. And then when he hit adult age, like it is, he does get more services and funding on the waiver, but um, so many things on there that aren't available because there's not staff for it. It's not funded correctly, or they just don't have as much support as he needs um, in that service. So it's like, can't go send him to do that if he doesn't have somebody helping him. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, it's hard in that way of trying to make a plan A, plan B, C, D. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Lisa, does California, um, my only California knowledge comes from like Melinda and um, other people that I know there. I always thought that, and maybe it's not the state, maybe it's certain counties, but that they have like, they give you control of like, if Cody wanted to do certain therapies, they give you a budget and then you kind of dictate what that's going to be used for. Or does that also end at like 21, 22? 
Well, you're talking about, it's called self-determination and we don't do that. It's offered, but it's, I mean, you have to jump through so many hoops and you have to prove where you've spent your money. And let's say, let's say if they, you know, like, let's say you need a hundred thousand dollars for all these therapies for just one year. That's one family. And what it, you know, let's say that they only have like $300,000 in the pot. Like who's going to get it? So self-determination is not something that I wanted to do. Um, However, California is one of the best places for services. Mm -hmm. Cody gets everything. I make sure he gets everything. Um, He will be cared for his entire life in California. That's why we stay here. Otherwise, we would have been gone a long time ago because it's very expensive to live here. Um, They, he is what's called a client of Inland Regional Center. It's a regional center. It's, um, and I think they're all over. I don't know where they are. There's in some states, some states are not. I don't really know. I only know my state. Um, But when you're a client of regional center, you are a client for life. Um, and they will, he gets free medical insurance. Um, ABA is paid for, uh, you know, um, we do have private speech through our insurance company. Um, but it's, you know, pretty much paid for, we don't have to pay anything out of pocket. Um, so he gets everything. And if he were to go into a group home, cause we're looking at a group home right now, just because we're getting everything outlined in the estate, the will, all that good stuff. So that if he does need to go somewhere, it's in writing where he should go. The plan is for us to take care of him, but I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know if that's going to be feasible long-term who knows, we don't know. So it's important to have a plan B or even a plan C. Right. Um, so, um, we're going to, we have a tour set up next week. We're going to go check it out. Um, it's a place that was actually founded by a husband and wife. Their son had a, a developmental disability. They have since passed, but their son still resides in one of the homes. I think they have six or seven homes and they're just like a regular house mm-hmm. in a regular neighborhood. And they're set up depending on your level of need is where the home that you would be um, attending. And there are people there that live there and all that. But, uh, so I'm excited that we're going to look at that because I think it's important to always kind of expect the worst, I guess. Just have a plan. Yeah. I mean, and we have to, just, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's important. So, and back to regional center, they will pay for him to go to that group home. Wow. That's so incredible. So, and then and whatever they don't pay, his insurance picks up. California is the best. And I think maybe Texas and I feel like New York, but I'm not too sure. Um, I mean, it's seriously like my husband, we look at each other and we're like, gas is like almost $7 a, a gallon Gosh. here. And, um, and I know it's gone up everywhere, but five here. <laughs> I mean, the cost of living here is really, really I mean, the taxes are astronomical right. and we, we look at each other and we're like, we can't leave because we would be well, stupid. Yeah, they'd start over. Right. I mean, 
Did you get him on? Yeah. Like, how did you find out about regional center? Like when he was young um, or so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when he was, he was diagnosed when he was 17 months and then we were referred to regional center to get an official diagnosis. Now services don't start till mm-hmm. three, but uh, we, we caught it really, really early. So he was, he was a client when he was very, very young. And that's when, and you know, they didn't, I mean, I get respite and all that, but they don't come and they don't say, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Hoogerworth, I hear that your son has autism. Um, well, this is all the services that you can get to help him have the best life that he can have. They don't tell oh, you yeah, that we'll you search. have to dig. And then I've talked to other mm-hmm. moms and I'm like, I'm like, you get respite. I'm like, what's that? And I'm like, well, I want that. And I'm like, you get free medical insurance. I want that. Yep. It took me years to get everything. That's why, but that's why it's yeah. so important to talk yes. about it. It's not right. It's mm-hmm. it's wrong. It's completely wrong. I'm just hoping that I mean we we're can already pave the way. Yeah, right? I was talking about that. We're, we're already str- with Sherry before yeah. we started. So, it's like when we find out their diagnosis yeah. when they're young, we're on our own. Now we're in a different phase, and now adulthood, and there's not many people with kids older than ours talking about it. And so I feel like it's our obligation yeah. to at least say, don't move here or don't, I mean, certainly don't move to Indiana. I'm just telling yeah. you, it's awful. Well, <laughs> California is a really great place for, for kids yeah. that, you know, need services. Um, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's expensive it to live yeah. here though. That's I the mean, problem too. But now if you have to kind of weigh you're it, kind of a transplant to California or to um, Houston, or, I mean, it sounds like you would probably need to be a resident for a certain period of time to get like would regional center even look at Skyler unless we lived there for six months or a year are there openings or would he be on a wait list for God knows how long to be to be a new client of that place I don't know that answer mm-hmm. um, I have heard that it is getting harder and harder to get the diagnosis that you need to get services because there are so many kids that have mm-hmm. autism. And that's really unfortunate, but I mean, I would suggest in the very least to do your due diligence and make a phone call or reach out to someone that can answer those questions for you before you actually decide to just show up (laughs) and just show up. Coming to your house. Okay, well, knock, knock, knock. I need these services. And they're like, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. That's so. top secret. You weren't supposed to know about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Exactly. You're not supposed to let it out. Sherry, do you, um, yeah. do you have, have you started thinking about, um, with your son being 30, have you started thinking about a plan for after you're not here or like, do you want him to live in a group home or does he have family? Yeah, I know. I know. That's my plan too. But. <laughs> I'm going to live. I'm living forever. That's all there is. To it. <laughs> it's, it's, Beautiful it's, you know, man. I actually called Texas cause I considered I'd love to like go to Rockport or that area. Yeah. I, I want to be by the beach. Um, but you know, I'm in Colorado. Uh, so do I have a plan? Oh my gosh. My son has this plan that he's going to live on his own someday. Um, I don't know if that's really in the works for him. We have a, from what I understand, a seven to 15 or till I die here waiting list for him. Um, He could maybe possibly have a place of his own 
and receive services with people coming in to help him. I'm not sure how long the waiting list mm-hmm. is for that. I do not really want him to have to be living with his siblings just for a couple of reasons. Sibling rivalry still goes on. Um, but the other thing is that my children, my three older children took a back seat for many, many years and they're all living their own lives. Now they have children of their own. They're you know, happily married and doing really well. And I don't want them to mm-hmm. have to go back and change their lives to accommodate their brother. They did that the whole time they were growing up. And um, I still have tremendous guilt over that, especially I am a single parent. Um, we, I am one of those parents that falls into the... You don't make it when you have a disabled child or something, you know, difficult Mm -hmm. happens in your life. So we are, I'm a statistic and that's okay, but I'm living on my own, just like you are, Alicia. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to be a single parent and do this. Um, So I don't, I don't want to do that to my older children. Um, If my son could find a place and live on his own, that would be fabulous, but I don't know how long that would take. Um, what services would be available for him, I really need to get on it. And I've been so focused on his medical care for the past three years that that's taken a back seat, which it really should be a priority at this point. My son is facing an amputation of his leg. Um, So um, right now he's doing physical therapy to gain his strength back after nine surgeries on his leg in the past three years, um, which unfortunately weren't successful. And so um, it's a three to six month journey just with physical physical therapy to gain his strength. And then when he has the amputation, that's gonna be quite another journey for him. So he'll be staying with me and I'll help him as much as I can. Does he want his own place? Yes. (laughs) Do I want him to be independent? Of course I do. Um, He's higher functioning but he still would need assistance with a lot of things. And um, like we were talking about that before the, this started, um, it's, it's a hard road, especially for a single parent. I, I truly wish that there were more services across the board, every state. And that's part of why I started a Facebook page. I think that's the one part that I, I was always the person that said, never, ever will Skylar live outside of our house. No one can take care of him and love him like yeah. I can. Um, and I'm not, I'm not putting him anywhere. And I just looked at it so negatively, but I've had so many people with kids in facilities and Lisa, you're one of them on the podcast that has told me, um, just, you know, the experiences that you've had that are mostly good and how much that freed you up and kind of gave like Lindsay an independence that she needed mm-hmm. and craved. Um, so I have a little bit of a different outlook. I just can't see myself doing this for until I'm 60, 70, 80 um, years old either. Like, And I think that's okay to yeah. say. I think it's okay to say. Yeah. Yeah. Sherry, I didn't mean you froze on me at the very point you were talking about, you know, just being a caregiver and how little we're considered. And I was just mentioning to everybody else, that was my next question for all of you guys mm-hmm. is just kind of what your life is like as a caregiver right now. And kind of if that's helping play into the decisions for the future for us, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, Jess's unseen documentary said it, said it all. She's, and, and other people that joined in, 
It was fabulous. And I cannot recommend that enough. And I've shared it a couple, well, several times. Um, mm-hmm. Every single thing that they discussed in Unseen is where I've been from <laughs> anger to depression, to sadness, to happy, to happy for my son, to mad at my son, to mad at life, to happy with life, to acceptance. It's actually a grieving process, I believe. I had a, I had a job and I was happy at this job. I worked very hard and gave 150%. And when I ran out of medical leave for family medical leave, they just let me go. And I felt very imba- abandoned. That hurt. So let me, this is Lisa in, in Houston again. And so let me just share a, a perspective. Um, um, even though Lindsay is in a, a group home, um, I talk to her every day. We have appointments that we go to um, for me to be able to check on her and make sure that things are, are going well and having that time together, we'll go get our, you know, pedicures done or something. And that allows me to uh, have time with her, ask her how things are going. Are there any concerns? If there's a concern, then I have to go back to the, you know, the provider and have a conversation and say, Hey, just want to touch base. Um, you know, seems like last week they were having dinner at eight o'clock at night. Um, what's that about? You know, that's really, that's really late. And for it to happen all week long, why, what's the deal? Um, and of course the head provider doesn't know anything about that. And it was just a miscommunication. And now they're having dinner back at their normal, you know, 630 time. Um, and I'm really fortunate. And this is why I know a lot of you guys get so worried because so, Lindsay is, can tell me just about anything. Um, and a lot of y'all have loved ones that struggle with that kind of communication um, and being able to express themselves in that way. And, that's, and that is a big thing. So I would tell you that when you're looking at group homes, one of the things that I've seen people say is they'll be like, well, we want to be in a group home with, with individuals who are all the same, because, you know, then we know there'll be lots of care. You don't want that. You always want there to be somebody who is at least one person there that has a higher level of functioning and communication that when you go in, you'll get a really clear picture really quickly, how things are and what it looks like and be able to chat with everybody and, and say hello. And you'll be able to pick up the vibe pretty quickly from that. Um, but the caregiving doesn't stop just because she is, she's in a house that's five minutes away from us. It's, it's still constant. We're, we're always there and always participating, but I think that's the ideal situation though. All of us would love to have it five minutes, even a mile down the road or whatever. It just seems like the only thing you can find, if you can find something, it's like two hours away. And I, I'm almost like, I don't think he's better off. I think I'd rather have him here because I don't, I mean, I don't know. I just don't want that feeling like I am giving up. And I, I think that's what held, held that negative yep. view for me for so long. Cause I just don't want him to think that I'm done. Like I'm checking out your someone else's, you know, situation to manage now. And I just don't like that. And feeling. if you're just somewhere where you can just skip over to them really quick, you know, um, where you're not driving an hour mm-hmm. away, you're only five minutes away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they have um, a program here called supported living. And so you could have um, 
where there's, I think a maximum of like three living together. Um, but you either like, I mean, I guess parents could go together and buy a house or they could rent a home or kind of what I want to do is build an addition off my home, um, for him, like an ADU. Mm -hmm. And then you have, um, like an agency come in and do the caregiving. Um, but it depends on if you can find an agency, if they have enough caregivers, um, so, I mean, that's kind of what I want to do for him, um, you know, now within the next couple of years to carry out, but then you have to make the plan for after that. So, I love that idea. But you know, what's sad is yeah. everybody that I've talked to that, like, I think even, um, somebody here mentioned that these, that these day programs were started. All of these things are started by parents like us, which is so yep. frustrating because on the one hand, it's amazing because we know what our kids and other kids like ours need. And so you're creating something that future young kids can, you know, gravitate into <laughs> as an adult, but it's not up to us. We do enough shit. Yeah. Like from the day of yeah. diagnosis, we're doing everything. It's like, so if we have to build these group homes, mm -hmm. which every single one that I found that's really good mm -hmm. was started by a mom or a dad or, yep. you know, a family who had kids and they're like, this can't be all it is. We'll just build something then. I'm like, yeah. how is this fair that we have to then yeah. plan for that too? Ah, I get so fired yeah. up about that. Uh -huh. I was saying as far as caregiving that, you know, sometimes I get mad at my son. I don't really get mad at him. I just, um, he has behavior sometimes that um, are hard to deal with. So, um, but I do know of people who in Colorado built a little house for their son who had Down syndrome right in the backyard. So they had a couple of acres and they had the community, the church and all kinds of people chip in and um, with the supplies and things like that. And then they had a little store that they built in Boulder for all these people to do their crafts. They did wonderful, wonderful things for him, but not everybody is in a position or has a big enough property to do that. And like you said, Lori, it's not, why should it have to be up to us? So many other people are receiving services in this country and our children seem to be last and our families as, as caregivers were last and we're swept under the rug. And mm -hmm. it, it's a lonely, sad journey that we try to make the best of and try to be positive, but it's really, really hard some days. I go days without speaking to anybody. And the people that I do talk to, they're medical staff, you know, doctors. <laughs> they're, yeah. You're they're doing like, best friends. Okay. What do you <laughs> no. guys do? You know, so we talk about different stuff when my son's doing physical therapy. Those are the people that I talk to and it's not easy. Uh, I don't, I don't want to sound bitter or negative yeah. for those reasons, but there's so many people in the same boat that we do the best that we can, but it's hard. Um, and we need, we really need something mm -hmm. different, not what parents come up with, but the federal government, not state by state. So another thing that I wanted to mm -hmm. mention before I got booted 15 times was, um, you know, one of the things is, uh, oh, I just lost what I was going to say. Oh, geez. Um, we, About we states need, and federal? We need mm -hmm. everything in all 50 states. That's for sure. The, that's what I was going mm -hmm. to say. I had considered moving a couple of different times and I was looking at places where I could afford because Colorado is extremely expensive. I think we're right close to California and New York at this point. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Lisa, I had a question for you. Um, again, I, I, it's all hearsay, California knowledge, because that's one of our states that we're looking at moving to too, if we could afford it. But um, 
is there a plentiful amount of group homes and residential living? Um, because I thought that I was told that they are trying to like encourage you guys to keep your children at home um, into adulthood by paying you a very small, like part-time salary to do kind of what you're already doing with ABA and some of the services at home um, instead of placing your yes, child that's a into really a, good, um, a facility. That's, um, a, that's a really good. And I, I don't know if um, topic to talk about. You're talking about, it's called in-home supportive services. And what is so great about that is that it is designed to keep the families together and you get paid to care for your child. And what mm -hmm. is so wonderful about it is that you have the opportunity if you want to, you know, keep your family unit together. I mean, of course it's all, it's, it's going to be a case by case basis and it's going to be depending on what you want. I decided a long time ago that I wanted to care for my son. I want to learn how different he is. Um, and because mm -hmm. I was able to access that, I got to stay home with him and it was a blessing. But what's also great about the program is that mm -hmm. to place these children costs at least five times more a year than what we get paid. So it's, I mean, it's helping, it's helping everybody, not only society mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all of that, but it's also helping, mm -hmm. you know, families that wish to stay together. Um, yeah, you know, you're I mean, it's, I think that it's a great you're thing. Helping. It's, it's been, you know, really pivotal in mm -hmm. why oh, we man. do what oh, we man. do. And um, I have learned so much and, oh, it, and it helps me to have the time to actually spend with him. And I don't have to have a job because this is my job. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, there are, I'm sure there are wonderful right. places if you decide to go that route. And once again, it's all based on what you wish to do. And I think that for, for my son, I think that he truly is happy here mm -hmm. and he wants to be here. And um, that's kind of what we're looking at. You know, if, if mm -hmm. he's happy here and he seems fulfilled and, um, you know, he's learning. I mean, I, there's nothing greater than seeing him have such a wonderful day and we're, we're learning to read. It's a slow process, but, but he's learning. And I don't mind spending all these hours doing it. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but um, I, I want to do it. You know, I want to do it. And, and I, I'm really grateful that, you know, we, I mean, there was a time where I was like, I don't, Think I can keep staying home. I don't know how we're going to do this. It's very expensive. And, you know, and then I did try to get a part-time job and I was <laughs> yeah. just constantly calling in saying, I'm not going to make it. Well, you know, that's not going to fly. They're going to be like, well, see you later. You know, you're, I mean, this is not working out for us either kind of thing. Cody, we're going to do that when dad gets home <laughs> at, at 530. Okay. At 530. Almost, almost. Um, so it's, you know, I, you're so I patient. You're so I, I just feel like I'm a better human being because I am just open to learning about what 
how he ticks, you know, how, what makes him tick and, and how he learns and how different everything is. And also Mm -hmm. I know what it requires to keep him safe. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen a place that can do what we do. And I mean, I'm sure I'm wrong, but that's just where my heart is. And it scares me to death. Like today we had a really big meltdown. My husband was happened Mm -hmm. to be here for lunch. We also had our ABA team here. If we hadn't all been here, I don't know what would have happened because he's bigger than me and I can't keep him safe anymore. I have to just verbally prompt and say, you need to go to the movement mm-hmm. room, all these things. But um, if he doesn't do that, there's nothing that I can do. And he, he gets to the level where he just like really harms himself. And it's, it's, it's very scary, very, very scary. And and yes, it's a lot of work and yes, it sucks, but mm-hmm. we're doing it. Yeah. And, but there's also, we realize that we're getting older and my husband, I mm-hmm. mean, he, he has a hard time holding on to him because we were trying to keep him from slamming his head against the, the concrete um, earlier today. And then there's a glass window. And I mean, these things don't happen very often, thankfully. Mm-hmm. We are kind of going through some rough things right now because of the hoarding that he's, that he's doing. We're working on that. He's throwing things away, but then he gets remorseful and there's a lot of things going on. And then I'm also having some things done in the house, which I mean, it's not too bad because I've got him on the other side of the house and the doors are locked, but it's just that he knows it's just, you know, it's hard for him. And, um, we're trying to just manage it all, but I mean, I just feel like when something like that happens and we all get together and we do such a great job in keeping him safe and walking him through it and talking him through it. I mean, his lip was a little bit bloody because he bit his lip. He bit himself, but he didn't draw blood. Um, You know, he slammed himself on the ground, but, you know, he's fine. It was terrible, but we've been there before. We've been a lot worse places. And I just... It's great that you can work on these things if you choose to. And I, I honestly, we've been in some situations where mm-hmm. the police, you know, we were like in public and they, they came up and because, you know, he's older and the first thought is he must be on drugs. And so they're grabbing for their billy clubs and, mm-hmm. you know, and I've had, I've heard so mm-hmm. many stories of them just not listening. And that's just where my heart is. And I know that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of education out there and we're all learning and evolving. But for me, what we're doing currently is it, it's working for us. And we feel like it's really the right thing for us. And, um, but I am excited to look at the group home and for like, you just never know. It's, it's really important to at least do that but mm-hmm. yeah, the in, it's called in-home supportive services and it's, it's a wonderful right. program. And it actually started out with um, senior citizens to keep them home with families that, you know, want to care for them and they want to bond and um, learn from one another. And I just think that it's such a wonderful thing to have. There are so many other cultures that all bond together and they come together and they all live together. Like, closely. And I think that's so wonderful. 
I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's amazing to have all that support. It truly is. I mean, you can have that support within your own household and you can also have it within your community. So whichever one works for you, it's, it, they're both equally important. I think. I think that's one of the sad things I hear all the time. You guys probably do too, is, I mean, we experience it as well. Like our circle, our little village is very, very small. It's just my husband and I, we don't really have family that lives around here. Um, And even if, even we do have family visit, they just are so hands-off. They don't know what to do with Sky. Like they have no clue and they just watch us. Like, I can't believe you guys live this life. And this is, it's just more like shock and awe factor instead of like pitching in. Where are the days where people used to, I mean, I remember growing up that way. I had like Mm -hmm. 15 cousins and like on both sides and all the family got together all the time. Everyone pitched in and helped kind of raise each other's kids. And, you know, your aunts and uncles were like your second and third parents and all that. It's just not that way anymore. It's, we feel so isolated and so many families like ours do feel isolated. So, I mean, the only other thing I was going to say to Lisa and you guys, I want you to chime in as well is what you're Mm -hmm. saying about having Cody home and having that option and having the state, you know, help support you in that option is so great. And I think that's the point of doing this is that the states that are getting it, I want states that are not Mm -hmm. like mine and maybe Alicia's like to, to branch out and figure out like, why is this working for California? Is it the marijuana money? Like that is generating more income to Mm -hmm. be able to do this? Like, what is, the disconnect with our states and why can't we offer these things? Because the biggest lack of services is choices. I'd like to be able to have the choice. Like, do I want to do the group home route? Do I want to stay home and quit my job and do this? But I don't get a choice. Mm -hmm. I have to make the choice and my family either benefits or suffers from the choice that I am forced to make because I don't have one. So what do you guys, you know, kind of think about that in-home support and we have programs in like Texas, that. there is, um, if your child turns over 18 and they're on one of the, the waiver programs you can do it's in-home foster care or in-home supported service, and they will pay you and you kind of manage their, their day. You're the one who has to make sure they get to the day program. You're the one that has to record that they went, you have to turn in all your forms and things, and then you are, paid. And we have a lot of families who take that route because they've got loved ones um, or their children might have more significant behaviors or issues that um, just like Lisa, they're just concerned about what happens if their normal staff is off that day. Mm -hmm. And there's a sub that doesn't know their child. And that happens to be the day Mm -hmm. that there's going to be a meltdown, you know, all of those different things. And, And it's hard. And I think people don't realize how much planning we do intuitively as the, as these primary caregivers for our kiddos, Mm -hmm. our adult kids um, at at any age of what they are, you know, every day you get up and you're like, okay, I've got to make sure that this is going well. Do I have the right kind of milk or juice that they like in the morning? Do we have this? Am I going to be available later today? Cause I know she's going to call me when she gets off work or you know, whatever it is, just the mm-hmm. amount of strategizing and planning that we do to keep the, the train on the rails as much as we can. Um, it, it is a challenge. And so supportive home living inside or, or foster, they call it foster care, even though it's they're in their family home. Um, is an option here. 
So that's, they, we do have a couple different routes that people can take here in Texas. Alicia, do you have anything like that in Washington State? Not, well, I think that they have something, um, well, the supported living mm -hmm. and they have companion homes where you can have a home with somebody basically living there. Um, they live, um, it can be one or two people. And I think that like pays for their rent, but that is basically their mm -hmm. job is to take care of um, one or two adult children that are living there. And that's, I guess mm -hmm. that would kind of be the same as what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in that kind of sense, you'd have to find the right home, find the right people. Yeah. And it's just a hard situation. Like I wish there was some kind of happy medium, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to be able to um, leave him. Like I want to be able to take care of him and have him with me, but then have something where he has that independence. And mm -hmm. when I'm no longer here, he's going to be okay with it, you know, instead of, I mean, he sleeps with a picture of me if I'm gone. For the night. Oh, so, um, that's sweet that, though. That type of thing to just, uh, I know it is sweet, but I'm like, <laughs> So, um, yeah, just something. Hey, Lori. I don't oh. know. <laughs> did you say is, oh, I'm sorry. Just gonna, is Austin verbal? Did you say? He's nonverbal. He's nonverbal. Okay. So I didn't does, know. If um, he, he started, he started S2C also just like, mm -hmm. um, you, I think, uh -huh. I think that's what you're doing it too. Yeah. Yep. He's been doing it about a year. So. Okay. I'm just curious because I always wonder too, what, with our kids who can't communicate really, um, I always think, and I asked Skylar, I'm like, do you want to live? I mean, maybe you're sick of living with me too. Like maybe, do you want a little bit of independence and would you rather mm -hmm. have a caregiver, you know, taking you on outings and doing fun things with you and let me just be mom and then just come and visit you every day. And like, maybe do dinner with you every night or whatever, and just kind of give him his space. Cause he is 19. Maybe he wants, you know, some hours away from me that I don't know. I just never know with yeah. him not being able to tell me what he wants. With my son, can I, am I, am I back? <laughs> this, um, yeah, that's with my son. He's, he wants to be independent mm -hmm. like everybody else and, and guys his own age and he's a man. He's going to be, he's going to be 31 in September. I was listening to you and I got cut off a couple of times, Lisa, but um, I am paid through IHSS also here in Colorado. Um, and I did work for a regional center, which was a, a state home on in rural Colorado until it was shut down. And like you were mentioning about how much it costs for round the clock care at these places, what's sad is that they shut everything down and now they're not paying the parents what they were paying the employees, anyone from the housekeepers to laundry to food service, all the way up to doctors and psychiatrists 24 seven. We, we no longer have those services here, but they're not helping the parents with that anymore either. And that feels like abandonment also sweeping us under the rug again. Um, and that's, that's a huge concern. You shut all these places down our children have nowhere to go and they need a place to go and they need to not be on a 15 year waiting list or until we die. Um, you know, was I happy about leaving my position and 
taking care of my son, I planned for it before I lost my job because I had a feeling that it might happen. So I applied to be his caregiver and it, it was a coincidence that right around the time that I lost his meta or my, my position and ran out of leave, um, that's when I was hired as his caregiver. <laughs> and I had all these big hopes and dreams and we're going to go this, do this, and we're going to go here and there. We'll go to the park and all these different things. And all of those things that I thought we were going to do didn't happen with my son because he had other plans of his own of what he truly wanted to do. And it really didn't have much to do with me except for being his caregiver and taking him to the hospital and being his driver. And so I'm all of those different things. But like you were saying, your son, does he want his independence? Yes, mine does. So mm-hmm. as much as I love him and was hoping that this would work out, it's kind of a tough road. Uh, for him as well as me. Um, mm-hmm. Am I happy that it happened? Yes. Am I concerned about my future? Absolutely. There was a, a point Ugh. when I first started doing this where I was being paid less than how much I paid for rent. So I pulled my four, I pulled my 401k and I lived off the off of that until he needed more services mm-hmm. and they increased his hours. Um, but most people if they don't get paid for three months, which is what just happened to me, um, they would end up homeless. So there's, their services are great in Colorado, mm-hmm. but it needs a lot of it needs a lot of help and a lot of changes still need to be done. Well, I I so appreciate each of you guys taking time, and I know everyone has kids to tend to and things to do. Um, it, it kind of in closing, I just was hoping um that there is one like maybe, maybe an organization or a link or something that people in, um, that are moving to your state, live in your state currently with maybe younger kids that, that is an absolute, they should check out just for state resources, um, at any age, or just something that you found is helpful for you. Um, so Lisa, um, in California, do you want to go first? Gosh. Is there something that you can point people to, um, or if anybody knows, I think that, um, the important thing would be to, you need a diagnosis, first of all, to even start Mm -hmm. services. So you need to start there. Um, and then contact a regional center, wherever you're going to relocate to. Um, we are part of inland regional because that's where it's located. It's in the inland Valley. Mm -hmm. So there are different regional centers all across California. So, um, you need to get the diagnosis and then um, contact your regional center that's in the area that you're going to be ro- relocating to. And that's where you're going to start this, um, start your ball rolling and, um, and just know that there are so many services available. Just ask questions. Can I get this? Can I get mm-hmm. that? Can I get this? Because I didn't know that I could get so many things. I mean, we went without so many services for so long and we were paying out of pocket and it didn't need to happen because we have the services here and it's, it's available. And, um, but it's almost like they're not going to tell you they're just, and it, that it's so wrong. It is so wrong. Mm -hmm. It's almost like having a cancer diagnosis and your doctor's like, well, let me know what you want to do. <laughs> Don't you have yep. a plan? 
I mean, we need a Get plan. Me. <laughs> we need a plan. We need somewhere to start. It's devastating yeah. when you're told that your your son will never speak. He will never learn to do anything and to place him. And that's what we were told when he was really little. That's Us devastating. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what do you do? Where, where do you go? You need, I mean, we, you need a support group. You need to talk to other parents that got the same diagnosis. And I mean, I tell you, there were like 10 years that I didn't know if I was going to make it mentally because I didn't know how to help my son. And we drove him to placement at one point. And because I just didn't know what he needed, I didn't have the help that I needed to help him. Mm -hmm. Only when I drove him to placement and then they released him to me three hours later because he couldn't talk, he was not verbal, did we drive home And then did things start happening? Why is it that families have to get to that crisis point before they're helped? It's wrong. It it needs to change. And I don't know how to make that change. I wish I did. Um, It just, it's, it is, that's why there's so many families that don't, that the divorce rate is so high. I told my husband, Mm -hmm. I said, if you walk out, I will drag your ass back here. I am not doing this alone. You are not going anywhere. And he's like, okay. You know, it, yeah. it's terrible. It is. It's, and I get it. I mean, there are times where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I, I am crazy. I should be drinking all day long because this is insane. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's... It is just heartbreaking. I mean, I get so many messages from people. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I do what I can. I try to help. I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew more. I wish I could help more. I, I don't have all the answers. And it just is heartbreaking. It just truly is to see families struggle so much when all they need is a little bit of help. They need resources. Mm-hmm. They need someone to, you know, when I was in the closet where my son was throwing things at me when he was little and I was just in the closet crying on the phone and they would hang up on me and they're like, call the police. And I'm like, I can't call the police. They're going to put him in a straight jacket. You know, mm-hmm. where, where are the people that even now, 20 years later? Yep. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you do more than a lot of people. And I just, for one, want to say thank you because I I can't tell you the number of people, including myself who found Cody speaks so long ago. And because you're vulnerable and you put all the videos out there, we've gotten to see Cody progress in so many ways. And knowing that you do that yourself at home, you're the one teaching him things. You're the one getting him to talk and to communicate and all that stuff. So, I mean, I know it sucks. I know it's hard because I live it right with Mm -hmm. you, but, um, you're doing a phenomenal job just, and no one can love him I like mean, you. So. He's my baby. I love him so much. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to see your child struggle. And I, mm-hmm. I know how much time it takes to put in the work. And I just don't see that they could do that. They're, they're not going to have the staff. They're not mm-hmm. going to, they're not going to have the wherewithal. They're not going to have the patience that it takes for my son to, you know, to, to get from a meltdown back to being calm again. And, Mm -hmm. um, so services are so important and resources are so important. And, 
Um, there needs to be like a hotline when you're in crisis, right? <laughs> like a suicide hotline. Yeah. There needs to be a hotline yeah. that someone sits with you while, while they're on the phone with you going, my 21 year old is having a meltdown and I need you to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. just, that's, yeah. that's not what's happening. That's a brilliant idea. I think you should start it. What's your yeah. number? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Really? We'll just call Lisa. It's just, don't you feel like it's so helpful when someone is just there in your corner going, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Yeah, or if they say job. nothing. Yeah. 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 It's, I called Jess and a cry and she, I, she doesn't say a word. And I'm like, I don't want you to say a word. Just yeah. l- let me just yeah. bitch just or listen. cry or whatever for five seconds. Yeah. Yep. It is it's for each other, but everyone doesn't have somebody to right. call. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's perfect. So resources, ask a lot of questions, Alicia, what would you say for Washington or just in general, like for people to just in, in general, I would find other parents Mm -hmm. support groups. Parents have been, and you know, I have, um, girlfriends that I met when our sons were diagnosed at two and we're still you know, still friends. We might not see each other ever, <laughs> but we talk all mm-hmm. the time and that's somebody just to be like, this is happening or, you know, just they're the only people that are going to understand your life. No one understands your life unless mm-hmm. they're living it themselves. And, um, just also, you know, I get a lot of resources from um, parents with older children of just, you know, what's out there. And then also if there's, you know, a family with a newly diagnosed child, then that's going to be helpful for them um, from other parents, because most of the time, all the resources that you had, you had to search for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like advertised, like we talked about, like, Hey, get this. No, you had to like dig for it. And it, you know, it's like, Oh, wish I would have known that seven years ago. Thanks. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like at diagnosis, so not I would like say, <clears throat> I was just going to say, I feel like it's, um, it's not a gift, but sort of like when you're diagnosed, you should get a care package with like books in it. And like, you know, call these parents, here's these Facebook pages you should follow. Here's this call these people so that you don't walk out of there with nothing. Like there's hope. At least feel arms. Like I'm ready. Okay. I can call these people and I'm not alone. Right. Like there's hope out there. It's not like you're Mm -hmm. given this horrible diagnosis and with this bleak uh, future and Mm -hmm. you get given this package that you're talking about, there's hope and we can all learn from this and we can do better. And yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. I didn't mean to cut you off, Alicia. Did you have something else to add? (laughs) No, you're totally fine. You're fine. Lisa, do you want to go next? You're next on my screen. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, I would say, and I'm curious in, so in Texas, when you're going through the, the process of receiving services, when you when you come up on the list, you have to, it's almost like a reapplication, right? They go back in and they look at, at where you are, what your diagnosis is, um, all of these different things. Do they do that in all of y'all states also? Do you have to go nope. kind of go through? Nope. Some of you do and some and, of you don't. Yeah. yeah. You see heads mm-hmm. going different directions. Yeah. Um, one I had the, to redo it at 10. You had to redo it at 10. Every year. Yeah. And then- every year. Um, I think your son is no longer autistic. And I'm like, oh, really? Jared, woo. Really? <laughs> so yeah, we have to, we have to have our annual reviews where they come in and, um, you know, they, 
walk through everything. It's I'm, I'm used to it now. It used to be very unsettling, but um, because they kind of come in, they're like, well, he talked to me and I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you start talking to him? I mean, he's, he's a human being and he's got a soul. So talk to him like you would anybody else. He's not a monster. It's that would just really upset me so badly. And I think it just goes to show the lack of education on their part Mm -hmm. that they just, they just don't know how to, they're, they look at him like, okay, what's he going to do? I'm like, I don't know, walk like around. I'm like, yeah. So, but we do it. We just kind of have to prove that he needs services and support and all that. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I think I would probably tell families, and it's kind of a hard, it's a hard thing I think for some folks to hear. Um, and, and my kids, and my son, obviously, he's on a spectrum, and we've got executive functioning deficits and behavior issues and things like that. But on the other flip side of that, he's very, very intelligent and verbal and all those things. And Lindsay was like that when, when she was younger. And then I have several friends that have different, you know, different levels too. Um, But one of the things that I learned through friends who went before me was when you get an IQ test, you want it to be low and because for us in Texas, that is a huge determiner of services. Mm-hmm. Um, there are services that are, you know, autism based, but you can lose services if you've worked so hard and worked to teach at the test, and now your child can score a 75 on their IQ test, or they can score a 95 on their IQ test. And you have just taken away a tremendous amount of opportunities for resources for your kiddo. And, and this happens particularly through schools because the schools are always, they're using that as this reassessment. So they're reassessing every few years and they're working to teach to this test, so to speak. And so it's a, it may be a hard thing and even a harsh thing for me to say, but I would tell families if they're asked and they've already got a, an evaluation that's done and it's a lower IQ, just let it set, mm-hmm. just leave it. <laughs> there are other things that you can do to evaluate your, your kiddo and where they are and how well they're doing. Um, but don't take a chance on all of a sudden having an IQ test done that is going to bump up a few points and you're going to feel real good about that because you think that's a great measurement of where they are in their world. Um, but you can lose resources. And I have several friends who have adults with, with autism that have issues, but their IQ is so high that, and they can't live independently. Their behaviors keep them from living independently. Um, you know, they can't cook a meal for themselves. They can't have a job. There are so many things they can't do, but they can't have all of the services that somebody else is going to qualify for. Um, so I would really encourage people to check out what the different types of services are and what are the qualifying points for that, whether it's just autism or IDD or um 
some other type of syndrome or genetic disorder, look and see what those things are. Be aware of them and keep track of those as your child is aging. All right. Good advice. Well, um, I, like I said, I appreciate all of your time and hopefully, um, you guys have all sent me your, your links and people can communicate with you on social media. If they have specific questions about your States or just about your experiences with your kids and all those things. So, um, they can reach out to you hopefully, <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. um, I appreciate it so very much. It was nice to meet everyone. Thank you yeah. everybody. Bye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.